For some of you, it's your first time. For others, it is not. But for today, I would like to welcome you all to Epic Realms. Friends and enemies, heroes and villains, welcome to Epic Realms. Tonight's guest is an award-winning audiobook narrator, voice actor, actor, and writer, best known as Darkseid from Zack Snyder's Justice League, but also has been on shows such as Monk, The Runaways, Almost Famous, Argo, even Murphy Brown and more. Please welcome Ray Porter to Epic Realms. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. I have a question for you. Was okay. acting something you always wanted to do growing up? Um, you know, it was it was kind of the family business. My okay. my grand my grandfather was in the business. My mother was in the business. So I always just kind of grew up around it. And uh, I, you know, 17, 18 years old, you're in high school. And it, it seems like every single person in the world is like, so what are you going to do? You know, and I really wasn't sure, but I didn't think I wanted to be in. I didn't want to be an actor. I didn't want to do I wanted to do something else. Uh, and then I went and saw a play, um, a production of uh, Heartbreak House by George Bernard Shaw. And I walked out of the theater and was like, yeah, okay, I'd like to do this. So uh, that was, I set my sights on that. Went to school for it and everything. So I have a certified degree. I can act. It says I can. <laughs> Paper. The other room, it says I can. When you eventually ended up going into the or Oregon Shakespeare Festival? Oregon Shakespeare Festival. Yeah, I was there from 1990 until 2018 uh, or 2008. Sorry, I was there from, uh, yeah, 90 until 2008 uh, and then back and forth between L.A. and and there like in the off season. That was when I did Murphy Brown a billion years ago. Yeah. Um, and so I would come down to L.A. in the off season and kind of book whatever I could, that sort of thing. And then but I really enjoyed it up there. Uh, it's a beautiful place to live and you get to do Shakespeare all day. Right. Evan. You a big so. fan of Shakespeare? Uh, you know, yeah, very much so. Uh, I love it. And, uh, you know, it's funny because, you know, on the West Coast of America, uh, the argument for doing Shakespeare and why is it still relevant and why does it matter and all of that, uh, those are great questions to ask. They should be asked, I think, of everything. But seeing a production that is properly done with directors who know what they're doing and actors who know what they're doing, where the writing is allowed to complete its path from Shakespeare to the audience. Uh, you don't have those questions anymore. You know, you understand why it matters. And it was really gratifying to see that light come on for a lot of people who were dragged into the theater, right? you know, or maybe just, you know, bought their own tickets. We're like, I'm going to get some culture, even if it hurts, <laughs> they would come and sit and uh found themselves I, so many people would come up to me over the years that were surprised that they enjoyed it and i'm like well why did you buy a ticket for it if you didn't think you would okay that's your deal um but they came out actually liking it 
And yeah. uh, that was really gratifying, you know, because it does matter. Was there a moment growing up, you know, because everybody goes in and sometimes it's the whole, oh, my gosh, I'm doing this and I've got a show and I've got to go on stage and I'm going to forget my lines. Is there a point at which it just clicks for you where you're just like, I can do this. I'm in. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, a lot of it has to do with, you know, the great thing about Shakespeare, especially is that once, once you're sort of familiar with it, because, you know, yeah, it's unfamiliar. He places words in weird places and sentences and things like that. And there's a sort of a vernacular, you know, that they were saying in the 1600s in England that are a little different than now. Um, but once you sort of get your ear familiar with that it's the easiest thing in the world to do you know there is no real subtext there's no like well, what does he really mean he tells you what he means yeah in the lines it's all just there honestly all you have to do is shut up and get out of the way <laughs> and allow shakespeare to deliver the message you know and um so in that respect it's kind of feels like cheating you know yeah, people yeah. like oh my goodness you're so brilliant it's like well no, i'm really not it, it shakespeare is but here you know um and so just kind of perfecting the craft of of delivering that was really important and uh yeah i got to a place where i sort of felt confident about it and then did another play and realized I knew nothing and then sort of got on top of that and felt sort of confident and then did another play and realized I knew nothing. And it's the constant evolution. I think for anybody, you should never stop learning, yeah. but particularly for an actor. I don't think, I think anytime an actor is like, Oh yeah, no, I got this locked. It's not going to be as, as good as going on that journey of discovery with the audience. So was it a big change to go from doing stage acting to, you know, you go, you said you went back and forth to LA and then yeah. you're doing TV shows. Is there a big change? Well, there's because... still, I mean, sure. There's, there's technique stuff. That's a little different acting for the camera. And I still grapple with it. Um, you know, and I, I hate watching myself. So I'll, I'll see something I'm in and I'm like, Oh God. Oh God. Um, it's different. You know, you also don't get the kind of immediate feedback that you would with an audience. Um, but, you know, the difference between having to communicate these emotions or these really deep human things to somebody who paid good money to sit in the last row of a 1200 seat outdoor theater. And they yeah. deserve to get as much of the show as the person in row A does. So you have to try to deliver that. Uh, in in a way that they get it um that calls for some technical stuff that you don't necessarily have to employ uh you know on the camera right. where so much is is right there and informed and then you know the editor can have a lot of control over what the the moments of a scene are and that sort of thing so very different but yeah, you had you had mentioned in another show that there have been times where they're just like don't act don't act. Well, yeah, honestly, I mean, the, 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 the less that you put on it, you know, but I actually, I was kind of experimenting with that a little bit, um, even doing live theater, you know, just how little can I do here, you know, right. You know, deliver just enough that's necessary. You don't have to like fling yourself all over the place, you know, saw the air with your hand as Hamlet says. Did you do a uh, lot with improv and stuff as well? Fair amount. Yeah. I studied with the groundlings uh, a oh, bit nice. and, uh, you know, yeah, that sort of Im immediacy and the, and the willingness to go there. Um, you know, the gray area, the value of the gray area where you're not entirely certain what 
everything is and you just kind of commit anyway. And there's some wonderful things that can evolve from that. For those that are listening that don't know what the groundlings are, because it's in a, like so many people have gone through them, and that's oh, like, yeah. that's a badge of honor to be to spend even if yeah, you spend one never, day with them. Yeah, no, I took two years with them, and then you know family stuff kind of precluded me continuing. Uh, but it is you know it's a, sort of a level program, and there's different levels, and then ultimately if you get into the actual groundlings company, you can say you're a groundling. Mm-hmm. I, I won't say that because there's far too many people that are geniuses that I respect that are groundlings. Yeah. But I did, I did study with them a bit and my God, it was informative. Nice. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Did you take some of that with you going into doing audiobook narrations and voice work? Oh, sure. I mean, I think any information you pick up as an actor, you're going to use someplace else, you know, the willingness to commit the, you know, being kind of unafraid, that sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And in L.A., also, you you know, sometimes you'll be sent a script or handed a script for an audition, and you don't have a lot of time to, like, put a bunch of stuff on it. So really, the only other alternative is to simply tell the truth and figure out what the truth is and then say it. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm making acting sound like basic plumbing, but ultimately... No. No, but that's, that's amazing. And it's a lot of fun to listen to. And people that are listening, like they don't necessarily always get that insight. You'll get the behind the scenes of a movie or your, you know, DVD set. And that's all they'll get. They don't really get the minutia of stuff like that. They don't understand what some of that stuff means and, and how much it means uh, to someone such as yourself going in there. Well, a lot of, I mean, a lot of actors and particularly theater actors, you know, there's a lot of attention paid to the craft of doing it. Um, And at some point you realize that simplicity is probably the best thing to do. Just get on with it, get the job done. You know, there's all those great old nuggets about, you know, some great actor saying, you know, just say your lines when you're supposed to leave when you're supposed to and don't bump into the furniture. And, you know, it's a great anecdote. I don't know if anybody ever actually actually said it it may be an urban myth but you know when it comes right down to it that's kind of the job really you know we're not doing rocket surgery out there we're telling a story and in point of fact i like to remove it even further and you know i don't call myself an artist um i really focus on the craft of it because i believe that like the author if i'm narrating an audiobook or the playwright or the screenwriter uh has created a work of art And if I deliver it to the best of my ability, the audience member is going to kind of create a work of art in their own head. Do you know, you ever read a book and you imagine it a certain way and then you go see the movie and you're like, that is not what I saw in my head at all. Well, it's because that was created in somebody else's head. Yeah. You know, and I love that. I love the fact that you can be in front of 1200 people and there's 1200 different pieces of art being created. Yeah. Uh, just if you are doing your job, that's amazing. It is. It yeah. is. When you're going through and you're doing something like an audiobook as compared to stage work or movie mm-hmm. work, what is the big difference uh, between doing like voice acting and acting? Uh, would you say that there is a difference or are you, would you say that it's the same thing? Voice actors are actors, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, people, people put up this sort of imaginary yellow line between the two and they just aren't some of the best actors I've ever known ever make most of their money voice acting. You don't know their faces on the street. 
yeah. they're some of the most genius actors you'll ever meet in your life. Um, you know, obviously voice acting there, the, there's some slightly different techniques you might employ. I mean, with the thing with audiobooks, it's not social. That's one thing. Um, you're on your own. And if you're doing all the characters, you're playing scenes with yourself. (laughs) And I sit in here in this sort of blanket fort and uh, just try to tell the story. And so, you know, play all the roles and do all the characters and all of that. And I do get, this sounds really lame, but I do get kind of lonely, you know, and I never realized it until I was in the studio in London doing Sandman with all of these brilliant actors. And we were all in the room together creating something. Oh, really? And there's a certain kind of alchemy, a certain kind of magic with that, that you just don't have when you're on your own. Yeah. You know, and there's the whole thing of like, you know, the scene's going really well and it's terrific and you're doing really great. And then a helicopter flies over and you have to stop. Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. And People are misled by audiobook narration. I know I certainly was when I started. Uh, I've had so many people come up to me and they're like, well, I've got a good voice and I like to read. So I think I could be an audiobook narrator. And it's like, (laughs) bon voyage. Have a nice time. It's deceptively difficult. Uh, You get to the end of the day and your brain is mush. You know, your voice is hashed all these muscles are just destroyed. And the last thing you want to do is talk to anybody. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it, there are real challenges to doing an audiobook for sure. That do you have you, some sort of preparation that you go through ahead of time where you're like, I got, I, I'm going to spend the next 12 <clears throat> hours reading. I've got a, you know, no, with mineral water. Or <laughs> right. right. Should take I, a shot of whiskey, you know, whatever. Yeah. No, exactly. Hey, shot of whiskey is not a terrible idea sometimes, but, um, no, I've got this throat spray that seems to work okay. Uh, I mean, it tastes a lot like licking a wooden movie theater floor, but, you know, uh, taste aside, it's basically okay. You know, water somewhat. Um, getting up every, I try to get up every 30 minutes. Like I'll finish 30 minutes of recording and get up and walk around because you can end up just sat here in this chair for hours on end, which is not good for you. Yeah. Um, I don't do a heck of a lot of pre-preparation with a book. I found just for me, this isn't true for any other narrators, and I'm not saying anybody else should do this, but I tried at one point. I had about, I don't know, six or seven books under my belt, and I started kind of looking around and went, well, I should get a handle on this. I I should study other narrators, and I should try to, like, approximate what they sound like, you know, and, and, you know, fit. Right. Um, so I tried that and I did a ton of research and I listened to a bunch of really impressive, very talented narrators and really tried to kind of model them. And I pre-read the thing and I marked it all out and I recorded a book and it's probably, it's one of the worst reviewed books that I've ever done. Um, because it was dry and it was dusty and it wasn't me. It wasn't immediate. It wasn't happening for the audience member um, in the the text. And so I found for me that if I can have some of that immediacy uh, in reading it, then so will the person who bought the audiobook. Uh, So that's what I do. And uh, I don't worry about trying to sound like anybody else. I just try to sound like me. You know, and that's that's the advice I give now when people ask, like, you know, I'm narrating. What do you you know, what do you think I should do? And I'm like, just do you just do 
just talk like you do. Tell the story like you do. Um, and the book will be served and the listeners will, it'll be justification for the money that they spent. Right. If you're bringing your best self to well, it. So. They, they can't be you. You're already you. They can't be a, you know, True. they can't be a Luke There's Daniels because they're, they're all, there already is a Luke Daniels. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, you could try to be like Luke Daniels and you would fail horribly because nobody's better at being Luke Daniels than Luke Daniels. Have you, have you listened to any of Luke's stuff? Yeah. He's a brilliant narrator. I want to let you know. And, and I don't know if you know this, we had him on the show Oh, and we, and we asked him, we asked him who his inspirations were. Yeah. And he goes, Ray Porter. Come on. No joke. You can go that's back and amazing. listen to the episode. Ray Porter that's was amazing. one of his biggest inspirations in audio book narration. Wonderful. That's wonderful. It's really gratifying to hear. He's a terrific narrator. He really is. Yeah. Uh, I remember the first time I heard him, I was like, damn, I better up my game. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's, I, I didn't, you know, I didn't plan to Thank mention that. But it's me like, that. We've that's had lovely. him on there and he's such a, such a great guy. So it's like, well, such a good guy. Yeah. About, is there anybody else that you do you still listen to with other narrative book? Yeah. You know, I do a little bit. And I mean, I'm, I've, I've become really good friends with several narrators. And, uh, so in a weird way, it's kind of odd listening to them. Cause I'm like, I know them. I was just listening to you talk while we were having a whiskey and now I'm listening to you do this book. It's strange. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's always good to get, to bend your ear and just listen to like what people are doing and stuff like that. But like Scott Brick is one of my dearest friends. Simon Vance is one of my dearest friends. There's several narrators that I just adore as people and as narrators. And I look at their talent and I look at their skill and think, oh, man, I can't even touch that. That's brilliant. Um, and I love that. I love that kind of attitude. And ideally, that's what you want is a sort of a collegial thing where we we rise together you know you're not immediately struck talentless by acknowledging the talent of somebody else um and i have found over the course of my career that the kind of people who sort of try to hold on to their stuff and at the expense of others they don't last yeah. you know i'd much rather boats. it is an old cliche sorry my voice is hatched that's all right uh, <clears throat> you've been reading all day long it's totally yes i have it is an old it is an old cliche but it's a it's an old cliche for a reason mm -hmm. uh it's a much more congenial environment certainly it's a lot easier to hang out with these people but it's also really inspiring to have somebody be your friend and then marvel at how brilliant they are it just feels good to tell somebody that they did good work you know so I, I'm very, I'm very free with, you know, people ask, ask me a lot of times to like list narrators I like, and it's like, we could be here for an hour and a half. Right. And I would just, it would be like the phone book. Yeah. There are so many narrators out there right now. So many of them I'm fortunate enough to know, and I admire all their work, you know? So well, it's such a growing industry too. Like there's oh always my God, new books yes, that yes. everybody wants to get their, you know, their book yes. narrated. And yeah, it's been like that for the last few years, kind of like the wild west. Right. You know, something happened where the sales just increased and shot through the roof and, you know, it's, it's a thing now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so now, now they'll get, you know, celebrity narrators in, you know, and that sort of thing. I had occasion to do a play with somebody who is very, very famous and, uh, he had been asked to narrate a book. He was like, Oh God, I was just destroyed after the first day. 
I, I, I just, I don't know, you know, how many have you done? And I was like a little over 400 and his eyes crossed. He was like, how, what, why, what are you doing? You know, he just couldn't understand why yeah. you would subject yourself to that abuse. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Do you have to deal with a lot of like directing as far as you're doing audiobook narrations and, and stuff, or is it kind of at the point now where post pandemic, they're just like, here's the stuff, do your work and we'll go from there. Sometimes, you know, there's sometimes where either a producer would like to be more hands-on or the author would like to be more hands-on. And, uh, I'll, I'll hear that, you know, from them. And I, I always like to have input from authors, but you know, the author does one thing. I do something else completely different and their readers and their listeners do something completely different. Right. And can't try to have control over all of those elements. So there's a lot of authors that'll give me a little bit of information and then let me go. And then I'll hear from them after. And they're like, wow, I was really surprised by this one thing that you did. I, I, I never thought of it that way, but it works, you know, and then listeners will come back because audiobook listeners have a tremendous sense of ownership right? Uh, and right. they should, they should, you know, so you'll see those reviews on audible and that sort of thing. And, and people really are like in depth. And they'll respond to stuff, you know, and myself and the author will be like, what? Wow. You got that. Okay. Yeah. And that to me is proof of, like I said before, the audience creating their own work of art. Right. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta, once you put it out there, it isn't yours anymore. You right. know, you gotta let it go. When you've got to cover so many different characters and character yes. voices and things like that, that it's, it's ridiculous. We were talking off off uh podcast a little bit yeah. about your take on males doing female voices and i thought that you had such an amazing look at that uh, uh i don't know what the word i'm looking for is but like a a, a point of view as far as that goes uh, you want to talk about that a little bit a little bit i mean you know uh i fell into the trap like a lot of people do where it's like you feel like you've got to like put a bunch of stuff on it if you're doing let's say a, a female voice and then you start actually listening to the way people talk and realize that there are women with voices that are incredibly low lower than me lower than yours there are different ways of speaking there's you know people are unique and different and um it's a challenge it's a challenge for the person who's narrating the book it's also a little bit of a challenge for the listener they have to willingly suspend their disbelief right and just accept uh there are a few narrators that i know that i think are absolute masters at it yeah i ain't one of them i'm doing my best right um but i found it enormously freeing uh to recognize that it's less about tone or pitch and more about intent more about you know just playing the scene and uh you know uh, yeah sure it'll employ maybe a bit more air behind mm -hmm. my voice but that's a character choice for a lot of different characters that right. i do i don't think in terms of necessarily pitch yes a lot of women's voices will be pitched a bit higher than a man's just sort of in general conversation yeah. but you know those that changes as well I think, you know, in order to be a good narrator, you, you probably should be a really good listener. And I'm only just figuring that out now. Yeah. You know, do you worry a lot about like your mouth shape or your facial expressions when you're doing different voices? 
I don't think about my facial expressions and I don't think, I mean, if, if you want to see me screw up is the instant I start thinking about how I sound is when I'm going to screw up and I'm going to have to go back and re-record it. Oh, okay. The minute that I get that five pound eye hovering above me, watching my performance, I'm no longer actually delivering the goods. I'm just scrutinizing myself and who the hell wants to pay for that. <laughs> so that's when I'll make a big mistake typically and have to go back and re-record. So I don't think about it. Okay. Um, I move around a lot you know, which you shouldn't do, especially on a microphone like this, which is such a strict axis, but I just, I, I move around a lot and yeah, I don't, I don't think about necessarily facial expression or whatever. It's really just about playing the scene. Now, as far as mouth shape, you can accomplish a hell of a lot by putting your tongue in a slightly different place in your mouth when you're saying a certain line or, or sending the sound out, you know, to the sides or, or having in your mind, like either the voice is coming out of here or here or here, or, you know, mm -hmm. but that's just technique stuff, but nobody sounds like anybody else. Right. That's why there's such a thing as voice print, you know, and everybody has different articulators. Everybody has, you know, yeah, we all got a jaw. Most of us have a jaw. Uh, we all have, most of us have teeth. Uh, most of us have a tongue. Um, how we move those things around in order to make sound that everybody agrees upon as language is unique. And so you can do a great deal. You can accomplish a lot uh, vocally uh, in narration by just shifting where it is a little bit, you know, because yeah, otherwise yeah. it just sounds like different pitched or different accented variations of yourself. Yeah. And if you're trying to like do a different character or something like that, and I know a lot of narrators don't do characters at all. Yeah. They just talk it's their choice and it seems to work for them pretty well. Um, I choose to go the other way. I mean, I'm not trying to make it like the Muppet show, but I do want to give the listener an indicator of who is speaking. Um, so yeah, I'll say things differently. I'll experiment with like different, you know, sounds and that sort of thing. Do you have a voice that was very difficult for you to take on that you, you tried to do oh, that you can a lot? Of? There's, there's been a lot. I mean, there's been several, you know, the, the, I mean, I made a big mistake early in my career. There was this, like, I was doing a fantasy novel and there was this ancient elemental demonic thing, you know, and I did this like really gravelly, nasty, raspy voice at the beginning. Well, that's fine, except that it's a 400 page book that this character shows up in a lot. Yeah. And by the end of it, I, I mean, I nearly did myself an injury oh, wow. doing that. So you have to make vocal choices that are sustainable. That's a whole other thing. It's like, yeah, this sounds great right now. Is it going to sound good? And page 250, you know, yeah. and are you yeah. going to be able to do the other characters in the story and yeah. tell the story? So you have to think about things like that too. Do you find a, that you have a niche when it comes to certain audiobooks you do, or are you just like, they're like, here, here's, we're assigning you these books. Or is it like, I want to do mostly these military. Realistic no, books, no, no. It's, or... you know, that just kind of, that just kind of happened. Um, military thrillers and sci-fi. Uh, that's, it's been a lot. Most of the books I've done recently have been kind of in those genres, some fantasy, which I'm very happy about. Um, you know, and I, I, Believe me, I'm not bitching. I've been very fortunate. I've yeah. had some really diverse stuff, but um, I imagine at this point that, you know, if a publisher is given, you know, a romance novel, they're probably not going to be thinking about me. Yeah. 
you know, and that's, that's, I mean, publishers are going to, you know, go with like, well, he can do that. So send him that book. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I tend to do those sorts of things and it's fun because I do enjoy those genres quite a lot. Uh, would I like to do some literary giant thing? Well, of course I would, you know, love to have a go at something like that. Umberto Eco is my favorite author of all time. Love to narrate one of his things. Okay. Um, but I also love Stephen King. I also love Joe Hill. You know, I, I love a lot of the authors who I'm fortunate enough to narrate. I would read them on my own. I love Neil Gaiman, Yeah, you know, um, and it's great. It's really fun to narrate those and tell those stories. Are you the kind of person that still reads outside of oh, work yeah. for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I was always kind of a voracious reader anyway, like uh, early on in my life, um, I would read before bed and now it's very hard for me to get to sleep without having read something. Um, and so even after a whole day of recording, I will still, you know, sit and read a book that I've chosen because it's a different part of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. You're working no. different muscles there. Yes, exactly. And one's for you and one's for other people, right? <laughs> well, there is that too. Yeah. I mean, exactly. Exactly. I don't care how I deliver the book to me. Right. You know, I do have to have some authority and control on like how I deliver it to somebody who paid good money to have me tell them a story. Is there so, something you're reading right now? Um, or a recent book I, you've read? Yeah, no, no, no. I'm actually currently, uh, well, I'm going through Neil Gaiman's short stories, which I absolutely adore. Um, kind of re-reading uh, an Umberto Eco title just because I love him. Okay. Uh, okay. Going back and visiting some of the stuff that I haven't read from Italo Calvino. Um. Life is just the downtime between Stephen King books. You know, I can't wait for another one of those to come. Right. Um, you know, I've always got a bunch of different books going. So, okay. yeah. When you're doing different things, um, such as acting and mm -hmm. audiobook narration, is there a point at which you're like, I need to take a, I need to take a break, like an extended vacation or are you just like, I love doing this. I'm just going to keep going because I love doing it. I love doing it, but I also do have to take a break every once in a while. You know, I, I do. And, um, you know, every book is different. People ask me, how long does it take to narrate a book? And I'm like, that's so much up to the book. Right. The book will take as long as it needs. Um, there are some books that, you know, you fly like, <clears throat> I mean, Project Hail Mary was done before. I was ready for it to be done as far as recording it. It just, that's because that's the way that book was written. And so right. it just flew through it. Um, my friend, Jonathan Mayberry writes books and they end and I'm like, wait, 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 you know, I'm not <laughs> quite ready. You know, I'm done recording them. And I'm like, but I, there's more, right. Um, you know, I, I, I'm very fortunate that I get to narrate Jonathan Mayberry's books. I'm yeah, very yeah. fortunate to call him a friend. Um, Jack Carr is another person who I admire greatly and, you know, and that sort of thing. Those books tend to kind of fly. Um, there are other books that I've done that don't and they need as much time as they need. And yeah. so, you know, you end up exhausted at the end of the day and you've really not covered a lot of pages necessarily. Yeah. Um, because that's how long that book wants for it to be told. So, it's tough, you know, and I wish I could say that literally every book I've ever done has been just 
but that's not true. Uh, you know, and I've, I've been given some books to narrate that I personally did not care for. Doesn't matter. That's irrelevant. My opinion of it is completely irrelevant because yeah. I'm not yeah. paying money to hear it. So I have to do my absolute best job with it, you know, a little harder than, you know, narrating a book that you just love. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's funny. It's like, it's a job and then it's kind of not, and it's very pleasurable. And then there are days where you're like, oh my God, no, I can't, <laughs> you know. Do you have the, the freedom to, you know, take it, just take a day off or is it like, <clears throat> I've got a schedule. Sometimes, I, feel sometimes. Schedule. I mean, I really do try to adhere to a schedule. My problem is, and I, I suck at scheduling and I say yes to pretty much everything. Um, I still have that like young actor thing of like, if I say no to this, I'll never work again, you know? And so I really, I just, <laughs> yes, I'll do that. Of course I'll do that. And then you end up overbooked and yeah. you're juggling and you're doing all, which is not a great way to run a railroad, but, uh, you know, I, I only look like an adult. I'm just not, <laughs> I hear um, you there. Yeah. I'm just a large child with bills. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if I'm like hammering, like I am right now, I've got, you know, books that need done. And so I'm like really slamming on it. There are others where you have a little bit of wiggle room where you're just like, okay, today I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to read anything. I'm not going to do, you know, any of that. You have to do that. Um, especially when you're talking about sustaining telling a story over days and in some cases weeks of narrating a book you, you know you need to be bringing your best and if the battery's empty the battery's empty yeah. so it's important to recharge do you find it easy to remember some of the books you did like if somebody you know if somebody comes back and says hey do you you know can you do the next expansion of this book that you haven't touched in 10 years would you be like oh yeah i remember that one or do you have to go back and look it some up i do some i do but typically i'll have to go back and kind of give it a listen just to, to make sure that there's continuity with the characters that i did to the best that i can um you know the other the other factor is that like if you're talking about a 10 year gap well my voice is different than it was 10 right. years ago um sometimes it's different day to day so that's you know you you, you try to get as close as you possibly can uh, you know, I know some uh, narrators who will actually keep vocal samples of every character that they do. They have a database. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, my God, that's I I don't know where my socks are. How are you that organized? <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of and some of it I just remember, you know, there's certain characters that I just I see their faces in my head and I know exactly what they sound like and I just remember it. But, um, yeah, that's a bit of a challenge sometimes. Makes sense. Yeah. So let's shift gears a little bit and talk about okay. shows and stuff you've been on. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm going to start off just because I'm really curious. Um, you portrayed yeah. a character in the TV series Monk. I did. And you filled yes. in, you know, like there were other actors that played that role before. Three what, different, three, three different it, actors. What was yeah. it like stepping in for, you know, the likes of a Tim Curry and filling in a role? Like yeah, that? well, you know, that was that was weird. I never expected to get that job, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, I went back and I looked at what Adam Arkin did because he was the first one to play Dale the Whale. And then it was Tim Curry. Yeah. And basically, I just went, OK, I'm going to kind of take both. I'm going to take from both, you know what, because the, their performances were very different. Very different. I'm going to take from kind of both uh, and, and do that because 
I, a part of it was, I guess, a little bit of an inferiority complex when you're talking about Tim Curry and Adam Arkin. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, now I'm going to put my stamp on it. And it's like, <laughs> no, I'm going to continue their vision of the character. Right. And in, in fact, there was one of the producers who said to me that the reason why I got the job was that I brought their influences into, you know, into That's that awesome. character. Um, and then I worked with Adam Arkin directed me in uh, justified. Oh, okay. And so, yeah. So I got to tell him about, you know, doing monk and like basically taking from him and watching, you know, what he did and that sort of thing. It was kind of cool. That's nice. And yeah. what, what was his response? Do you remember? Uh, he's great. You know, he was just like, Oh, that's, you know, that's really, that's terrific. He's a very unassuming person. You know, he's like, oh, cool. Yeah. Tim Curry did it too. He did real different. I said, yeah, I kind of tried to sort of make both, you know, mix it up. And then, uh, he was like, oh, how, how was it received? I said, well, I went on a couple of, uh, fan forums. He's like, don't ever do that. I said, yeah, wish you'd told me that before I did. <laughs> um, that's okay though. Well, I uh, thought it was, I thought it was great. Like my wife's a big fan of the monk series and, and. Oh yeah. Oh, that was a crazy time. I, you know, I had to go into makeup at three o'clock in the morning. I was going to ask about did, that. Yeah. I did six hours of makeup for that. And, uh, and five, six hours. So I come out and they had made arms that went all the way up to the shoulders. And this, and that was over this like massive fat suit that you didn't see. And then the makeup device basically hung off of my cheeks and formed this giant bib. So it was like airtight. It was like a spacesuit. Wow. And, um, <laughs> it was LA. It's a bit warm. Yeah. You know, we're shooting through the day and we break for lunch. And you've got lights and stuff too. Oh yeah. And we have, and I'm wearing pajamas, many layers of pajamas and all of this. So it comes time for lunch. And, uh, uh, one of the PAs was like, Hey, let me help you. Let me unzip you there. So you can cool off a bit. They unzipped it. And this like miasma of heat came off and they were like, Oh my God. Oh, so that was when they went, you need ice packs under your fat suit. I'm like, okay, I'll take them. Sure. <laughs> so they basically filled Ziploc bags with ice from craft wow. services and stuffed them in various places on my fat suit, which all melted shortly, except for one bag of ice that somehow in the course of the scene, the last scene that I do with Tony Shaloub had slid. How do I say this slid? down migrated <laughs> migrated south so there's a certain intensity to that last scene because um rather sensitive parts are literally <laughs> resting on a bag of ice oh. uh so the rest of me is as hot as a dying sun uh just that one spot was like sub-zero so it was very surreal Wow. The glamour of Hollywood. Yeah. What were some of uh, the other uh, favorite favorite shows or movies that you did? Well, I just did an episode of 911 that was incredible fun to do. I really enjoyed doing that. Um, I'd have to say possibly my favorite experience with the exception of, of Justice League because working with Zack Snyder is amazing and incredible in every way. Um, I, doing Doing Almost Famous was unbelievable okay. cameron crow is such an amazing director he's such a good guy uh it was telling that story 
And, you know, it was like four months. It was how I spent a summer was hanging out with a bunch of people who all liked each other. And we would play guitars all day and laugh. And sometimes they would turn a camera on us. And, you know, it was a journey into um, an era of music that I love. And it was just heavenly. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. I know, yeah. I know we're a little short on time because you've, you've, oh, no. you've got to get yes. going there. So I am uh, a I don't, I'd love I to talk about all of the things. <laughs> so well, like, maybe well, I'll, I'll come, just give you a couple of sometime. Yeah, yeah, I'll come back sometime and we'll really like hash stuff if you yeah. want. Yeah, I'd also definitely. love to do questions at some point. I know we may not have time for that today, but I'd love to come back at some point. Yeah, we'll definitely, we'll definitely do that. Um, <coughs> you do have some upcoming, an upcoming appearance. Uh, you're going to Dubai. Yeah. I'm going to Dubai. Yes. Um, uh, Speedy Comics in, in Dubai uh, is hosting PopCon at the Dubai Expo um, in November. So I will be there along with a lot of other really, really cool people. Uh, and it's a con. So it should be really, really fun. Awesome. That's cool. So come to the Emirates in November. Nice. Yes. Uh, you got some new books coming out too. Audio yeah. books. You've got, yes, um, many. well, your newest book just came out not too long ago is called roadkill. Um, roadkill a lot Dennis. of people, you've got a fan site on Facebook and they were just going buck wild about how much they love roadkill. It uh, was such a good book. It was so fun. I love Dennis Taylor. I love reading his stuff. I do. I mean, the Bobiverse, obviously, you know, the first time I read his, his work and I was like, Oh my God, this is great. Uh, and he had been fortunate enough to have, been asked to do many of his other titles and uh, I love them. And yeah, I, I really enjoyed doing roadkill. It was really fun. What's kind of the premise of that one? I, I, it's hard to, it's hard to talk, talk about it too much without giving or the series <laughs> anything away. Well, roadkill is a standalone oh, and okay. yeah, it's a standalone. Um, and it's basically friends who, how do I say this without? <laughs> yeah, it's a group of friends and something rather incredible and extraterrestrial occurs. Okay. okay. And I'm going to leave it at is that. It, is it set kind of modern or? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. 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 You've got a, another book coming out. Uh, Joseph Bridgman book four, quantum chain is coming out on uh, yeah. October yeah. 4th, I believe. Yeah. Nick Jones contacted me about that uh, a long time ago. Um, actually, Blackstone Audio, who's publishing it, contacted me and they're like, hey, so this British author would like you to narrate his books. They take place in England. Everybody's English. And I'm like, <laughs> if you noticed, I'm not. Right. Um, but I lived in England for two years. Uh, so, and I love it over there. Um, uh, but you know, there was, a, the, and I had a conversation with him about like, dude, I'm not going to try to like do a British accent for the main character for this book, just because that's a lot, you know, and I'm going to be shifting from County to County. I mean, England is a smallish country, but you know, you drive 30 miles and there's a different word for bread. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like the dialects are very, very different. And if you're really good at dialects, you can pin it down to the region, the city, the neighborhood, you know, all of that. Right. And, and very, very much defined. So me coming in, trying to do some sort of generic British and it's like, oh, is he in London? Oh, is he in the home counties? Oh, is he now in the Midlands? Well, um, um, you know, it's like doing, you know, generic, you know, Yorkshire, Northern, you know, kind of thing. It's like, 
unless you really, really know your business, that's a lot to ask of an audience uh, member. So he allowed me to kind of Americanize the main character uh, in it. Um, And I was glad of that. You know, the conceit being, you know, he said, well, I don't I don't know that, you know, anybody would buy, you know, an American living over there and not picking up the accent. I'm like, well, I lived over there and I didn't pick up the accent. I talk like I talk. Right. You know, um, and I've tried to like sort of soften that a bit. So it's not so like, you know, Britain, California, Britain, you know, because that's jarring in and of itself. Uh, But they're great, great. But that's just talking about the technique of it. The books themselves. Great fun. Uh, All sorts of timey, wimey mystery stuff. But the stories have such a a heart to them. Uh, Really good storytelling. You really feel for the for the main character for joe bridgman and um great characters all around the great just terrific fun to read so i'm very excited about the new one coming out when i said something about you when he specifically requested you to do it knowing full well i was very great grateful about that i, I truly was um and you know and and bless him for allowing me to kind of sally forth without you know trying to to do it but i just i just said to him mate it's going to piss off a lot of your listeners if they've you've got some yank trying to do, you know, some, I just thought better that they have one jarring thing than a jarring thing every page. Right. You know, I don't know if it's the right decision ultimately, but whatever. And my initial thing was, no, you need a British narrator. And they were like, no, we, we would like you to do it. And it was like, oh, okay. Um, but I have no problem saying no to a book if I don't feel I'm right for it. Right. Um, so yeah but it's it's great fun so that's coming out soon there is without giving anything away there's another dennis taylor in the pipe there's another jonathan mayberry in the pipe okay um and there's a bunch of other stuff coming out soon so yeah been busy well that's awesome and exciting yeah we'll definitely have to have you come back and we'll do like a part two or something like that down the road sure yeah i'd be happy to something like that (laughs) i'd be happy to absolutely awesome Um, your Facebook backslash narrator Ray Porter on mm-hmm. Facebook is your fan page. Uh, at Ray, Ray Porter, Ray Porter audiobook narrator, I believe is what it actually is on Facebook. Oh, okay. But yeah. Could be I, wrong. Yeah. I pulled it up and it was like a backslash narrator Ray Porter. I will defer to whatever you need. I just, that's what I looked up. I don't know. You, you, it's your nah, page. <laughs> I will defer to whatever, but I think it's Ray Porter audiobook narrator. But if you can find me that way, then listen to this fellow because he knows more than look I do. Look them both up. Look them both yeah, up. Look them both up. At Ray underscore underscore Porter. I learned that today. Two uh, underscores. Yes. Uh, There's a lot of Ray Porters out there. There are a lot of Ray Porters. And you're on Cameo. If people want to get a Cameo with Ray Porter. I have gotten to do Cameos for people and it is so much fun. I started doing Cameos obviously because of Dark Side and Justice League. And then a lot of audiobook listeners have had me do Cameos. And it's great. I've gotten to see some reactions and it's been amazing. So yes, I'm on Cameo. That's a lot of fun. Uh, definitely, definitely make sure you all birthdays, bar mitzvahs, tell your friends. It's yes, cameo.com I... slash dark side S E I D for those that don't really know what <laughs> don't know their spelling. Yeah. I know some yes. people are like S I D. No, S E I D. S E I D. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Twitter. And I'm kind of on Instagram. Not really. I'm not that good at it. Um, Me either. So. Yeah. I just post my stuff from TikTok, but we won't talk about TikTok. <laughs> I don't do TikTok. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm too busy in here recording. I'm not going to like come up with some dance or 
try to drink a bottle of seltzer in one go. I just I don't have the bandwidth. <laughs> eat a Tide Pod, something like that. Yeah, eat a Tide Pod. Yeah, I, I just don't have the, uh, yeah, I got no time. Right. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks for hanging out with us. Uh, hey, an absolute pleasure. Fans, September 5th, we're going to be having author Tim Pratt's going to join us. He's a Hugo Award-winning author with multiple contributions to science fiction and fantasy. We're going to talk about his many works, including his new space opera trilogy. And I, of course, as I've said before, I love his Pathfinder Tales series. I think Ray Porter's done a Pathfinder Tales with James Sutter as well. Uh, September 19th, fellow audiobook narrator, author, actor, Victor Bavine's going to be joining us. He did the cool. Drist, uh, he did the voice of Drist O'Urden. He's done roles in Homicide, Law and Order, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. We're going to talk about all of that and his book, Certainty. So that's going to be September 19th. October 3rd, owners of Steve Jackson Games. Steve Jackson's going to join us to talk Whoa. about board games, role-playing games, munchkin, zombie dice, and more. He's one of the biggest names in the tabletop gaming industry. That's going to be October 3rd. So join us for all of those. Be sure to follow, rate, review, do all of those things. They really do help us grow, and they put more eyes on our guests. So, for our amazing guest, Ray Porter, thank you all for listening to Epic thank Realms. You. Well, there you are. I hope you enjoyed yourselves, and I do hope that you come back and join us again for Epic Realms. Epic Realms.